0: Welcome to Pixel 8 Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's
1: getpixel,
0: the number 8, ED.com. Now, here's your host, Greg Shoemaker. Hey, welcome back to Pixel 8. And when you've got hard questions, what do you do? You ask the doctor. Today, we're talking to Dr. WPF, and he's going to tell you about some best practices. And how he answers some of the most difficult questions in WPF. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash DrWPF. And if you've got some email, please send it to show at getpixelated.com. Hey, so let's talk about what's new in the world of .NET. Scott Guthrie just just blogged yesterday about the Visual Studio 2008 and the .NET 3.5 Service Pack 1 beta. Now It's a beta. But man, huge. And this thing is everywhere. And I'm just, uh, in case you haven't had a chance to check it out, I want to tell you a little bit about it. There's a lot more in there than what I'm going to talk about. But the things that are important to us and the the changes and updates that might affect user experience is, well, number one, dynamic data. If you haven't checked out dynamic data, this is something that's, that uh, Infragistics is going to be making a, a big push into and I'm even doing some content over on the Polymorphic Podcast. I'm going to be releasing a screen cast showing you how to customize some, uh, some field templates for dynamic data. But this just makes working with the database a whole lot easier. And yes, it's going to work with more than link to SQL. It's going to work with a lot of other different OR mappers. Um, but what the service pack brings you is the fact that the dynamic control is now going to be supported within the standard grid view, list view, details view, and forms view controls. So that will make using dynamic data much easier because it's available to the controls that are already being used in your applications right now. So that's definitely a good thing. Next up is routing. Now the MVC ushered in the changes to the routing and yes, we want to have full control over our URLs. And (laughs) finally, and I'm so glad that this isn't sunk all the way down deep into somewhere in the MVC namespace because this is something that any .NET application will benefit from. If you're not familiar with, routing basically allows you the opportunity to have full control over your URLs. Any URLs that are are exposed to the customers are part of the application and it's important. So routing is in there. Another item is the Ajax back and forward history uh, control. So when you're creating an an ASP.NET Ajax application and someone's hitting the back button, what you'll be able to do is take a snapshot of the state of your application. So when people hit the back button, they're going back to something that makes sense. Gmail does this really well. If you do a search for something, you click into a a mail item and click back. You'll go back to your search results instead of the page you're at before you went to Gmail. So that's how that's going to work. Script combining is definitely a good thing. What it will do is reduce the number of requests that the browser has to make to the server in order to load up the the JavaScript files that are needed in order to power an an AJAX application. So on the server, you can say that uh, a certain application or a page is going to need these X number of scripts, and on the server it will combine it up into a single file and serve that up to the client. I'm sure that will help performance for many applications. For the JavaScript that you'll be writing yourself, there's now some deep support for JavaScript code formatting. This is really nice because, you know, you're in there, you're writing your VB or C sharp, and then you pop over to a a JS file and all of a sudden you don't get the niceness that the IDE can offer you. Well that has changed. And now with this beta, you'll uh, have an opportunity to take a look at it. And finally, something I'm really excited about is the IntelliSense support for external JavaScript libraries. So jQuery, Scriptalicious, and some of these other JavaScript frameworks. Now you have IntelliSense support. So that will make creating those better user experiences a whole lot easier on you as a developer. For all the information, make sure you check out Scott's blog post. And to make it easy, I've Shrinksterized it. Go over to shrinkster.com slash Y1G, and you can read about all the goodness. Well, help me welcome Dr. WPF to the show. The Good Doctor blogs over at drwpf.com, and he specializes in unique, or particularly hard WPF questions. He's in a good spot to answer these questions because he's been working with the technology from the very beginning. Now you notice the voices in this interview might be a little odd. I had a cold when we recorded it and the good doctor wants to protect his identities, So to keep him in the geek protection program, his voice has been altered just a little bit. I hope you enjoy. Here's Dr. WPF. Well, Today is a very special interview because I'm sitting with Dr. WPF. Doctor, what can you tell us about yourself?
1: Well, uh, first, thank you for having me. And um, uh, what can I tell you about myself? Um, When we talk about WPF, we tend to group people into uh, or categorize them by the role that they play. And I'm definitely on the developer side. Of the WPF process, you've got developers and designers, and then those hybrids that we all envy and wish we could be. <laughs> um, I, I definitely am not a designer. Anyone who's seen my website will probably attest to that. I'm very much a technical, and I've pretty much been a developer as long as I can remember, um, since infancy, at least, uh, possibly in the womb. But uh, <laughs> if any coding I did in, in there I think I lost in the birthing process so well
0: you probably didn't um, have source control which which I would imagine would have been pretty tough
1: yeah there there were definite limitations and um the whole process was was very traumatic and so no I'm I, my story is probably similar to most of the other geeks out there I was I was a uh, one of those kids that started on the Commodore VIC-20 uh, graduated to the Commodore 64s as soon as it came out, and I couldn't wait each month for the Compute Magazine to show up so that I could <laughs> type in the newest game or whatever and then start tweaking it. So um, we all have our stories of where we started, and so I I actually didn't ever think of, of going into... Uh, to computing or writing software as an actual job in life. I, I actually went to school for mathematics. Um, it, the the computers, all that stuff was just stuff I did for fun. Um, but sometime I, after graduating, I, I taught high school for a little bit. And sometime thereafter, I realized that my real passion was writing software. So um, I got offered a job where I could do that, and, and then after four or five years in the industry, I was recruited up to uh, the Northwest to a, a little company in Redmond called Microsoft. I actually spent about nine years there, um, and the last four years of that was on a team called Avalon, which uh, that's what WPF was called back when it had a cool name. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, um, and I and I had a blast there. I decided to actually leave. Microsoft about two years ago, uh, mainly because I wanted to keep writing software for this platform. Um, So I joined the company where I am now, and I've been lucky enough to to have now been focusing solely on WPF for, well, for over five years at least. And I still love it, so that's kind of my history.
0: So when you were at Microsoft, did you work on building WPF itself, or designer tools, or what was your focus?
1: So I was actually one of, I, I consider my job the the perfect job uh, in the Avalon group. Um, I was on a team of, there were about three of us that our sole job was to write uh, demos and, and really stress the platform and see what it could do. Okay. So if you saw any of the uh, PDC demos back in 2003 through 2005 or, or any of the tech ed demos, there's a good chance that... I was involved with it, um, and I was also a point of contact for uh, the early adopters of the, the platform who had questions about the technology. So I've actually been answering questions on on WPF for years. Um, the but the demo team was great because I got to uh, touch every aspect of the platform. Um, so it really gave me a good a good foundation for what Later, I, I would be doing, which is what I'm doing now, writing code. Yeah. Very cool. Writing applications.
0: Now, I've, I was able to ask around some of the questions that, that people might want to ask you. And, you know, one of the things is the, the whole doctor thing. Do you, do you actually have an MD? Is it a PhD? Or did you get like an honorary doctorate at, at some sort of like, uh, you know, community college?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's much more prestigious than all that. (laughs) Um, So there's a little history to uh, the title. Uh, The old timers uh, out there will remember that MSJ Magazine, Microsoft Journal, uh, which was the predecessor to MSDN Magazine, had a column in it called Dr. Gooey. And uh, there was there, there definitely, I don't want to say Dr. GUI didn't exist. There definitely was a person responsible for the voice of Dr. GUI, But a number of us at Microsoft would contribute to that column, uh, either writing uh, code for it or tech reviewing the articles and whatnot. And so that was kind of fun, a uh, little diversion to do and, and kind of see some of your work get out there in the public. Um, I decided a couple of years ago to go look up Dr. GUI and, and see what Dr. Gooey is doing. Um, and I couldn't find Dr. GUI. I thought for sure Dr. GUI would be writing about WPF. And so I he, he kind of disappeared from the scene. Uh, he or she, we don't know. And then resurfaced for a little bit, of, I think, in 2001, 2002, doing some .NET stuff, um, some Windows Forms stuff and then completely disappeared so i thought that left a void there so i decided there really should be a resource like this um and who dr gui was was it was a column where you developers uh in the real world could send in questions and say i'd really like to understand how to do this and in, in my user interface and, and then dr gui would respond um and so i i decided that uh with as much pomposity and audacity as I could that I would bestow myself with an honorary doctorate in, <laughs> in WPF. And so I started my little blog all oh, about six months ago. Um, I'm, I'm not quite the same as Dr. Gooey. Uh Dr. Gui always referred to Dr. GUI in the third person, <laughs> if you read the column. So you got to hear Dr. GUI talk about Dr. GUI quite a bit. Um, I I actually speak with a first-person voice, although more and more I find myself using a second person or or using we a lot uh, Mm -hmm. in my articles. But you don't hear me saying, Dr. WPF thinks this or Dr. WPF believes that. So I like to think I've got a little more of my own personality in there. Right. Um, That's cool. But that's kind of the history.
0: Okay. Well, now, so you're taking a lot of questions from a number of different developers, and you also spend a lot of time on the WPF forums. Tell us a little bit about what, what you're seeing out there. What are the common misunderstandings or, or things that people seem to need help with?
1: Um, well, so there, there are definitely some uh, common threads that that I'll see some uh, common veins of questions that show up in the forums. Uh, but I think that the bigger uh, issue is, is that's where people go when they're just getting started, and the platform is so big uh, that people feel like they're drowning. Um, and they're not sure where to start with things, and, and they don't want to start down the wrong path uh, and have to redo everything they're doing. So, so they go to the forums and try and, and get some direction. If I had to pinpoint specific uh, concepts that people struggle with, I'd say data binding is one of the common ones. What people struggle with a lot that they may not realize they're struggling with is the treeness of WPF. The element trees, uh, understanding how the element trees come into play with other parts of the technology. So uh, we're talking about the visual tree and logical tree and how those might pertain uh, to things like property inheritance and event routing and resource resolution and whatnot. Um, so I see a lot of those types of questions uh, and then the whole lookless control model uh, for developers writing. Uh, Controls—they may not realize what it means uh, to f- fully comprehend what it means to write a lookless control, or for designers, they've got the hard part there because they've got to actually style and template and uh, do all the bindings for for those styles and templates for controls. So I see a lot of areas, a lot of questions in those areas. Then uh, those who follow my blog know that that the items control, uh, I've seen a lot of questions on the the items control, that's like list box, uh, tree view and whatnot. So I actually started a uh, series that I call items control A to Z, uh, which I'm exploring uh, this category of control. Uh, And I found that it's a perfect medium for actually teaching broader platform concepts It pretty much touches uh, everything in the platform. Um, So, I'm I'm trying to use this series to kind of teach the platform itself as well as teach that specific control.
0: Okay. So it makes a, a nice slice through everything. That's cool. We'll make sure to put a link to that series on the show notes for for this show. So let's unpack some of that a little bit. Um, you were talking about the visual and the logical tree. Let's uh, imagine that we're talking to somebody who's, who's brand new to WPF. How are you going to explain those two different concepts to someone?
1: I typically start by explaining the logical tree. Uh, when you first get into WPF, uh, the first thing you learn about is XAML and, and what is XAML. And you, you learn to uh, use this declarative markup language to uh, describe your user interface. And all of the elements that you actually put into the XAML, uh, those become part of the logical tree. That's a very simplistic way to look at it. And there's some other things that go into the logical tree, uh, such as uh, the content of a content control, uh, which may or may not be a visual element. It, it may just be some CLR object. Um, but if content control, its its content is in the logical tree, or an items control, the items are in the logical tree. So, if you learn to to pull out the logical tree first, uh, the visual tree makes a little more sense the visual tree is just all the visuals that are required to display the logical tree so in wpf a control uh, can be templated uh, using a a small tree of elements which become its visuals so everywhere in your logical tree where you see that control you can expand those visuals um, and they become part of the visual tree and then a data item or the content of a content control that's in the logical tree but there may not be a visual representation that comes naturally so so you define a data template to give a visual representation to those CLR objects and so those visuals that are defined in that data template also go into your visual tree so the visual tree is pretty much every visual that is represented in the UI um, there's another tree uh, which doesn't get a lot of focus, and, and uh, that's the automation tree. Uh, if, you're, if you're writing controls, then you need to worry a little bit, or you need to know a little bit about this tree. Um, that's where UI automation comes into play, and, and you need to implement the interfaces to support that. But that's a kind of a minor tree.
0: And what's a practical application of the automation tree?
1: Um, So there are certain interfaces that you can implement uh, on your controls to allow them to be automated, to allow them to be accessible uh, to like screen reader applications or whatnot. Uh, These applications know how to look at uh, the automation tree. They could care less about what the visuals are. and they give a view of your user interface that's based purely on the automation tree. Um, and the automation tree exposes uh, behaviors for the control, uh, such, such as for a list box, it'll expose uh, selection-type uh, behaviors.
0: So it, would it be on the right track to say that using an automation tree, you can take your WPF application and, and basically expose it through a console application to another app?
1: Um, it's it's not quite that far. Uh, early on in the platform, there there were much uh, grander designs on what you'd be able to do through automation. Uh, in the end, what what we were able to put out was really more about accessibility. So it's more for uh, accessibility uh, type tools, um, providing interfaces for for them to to access. Uh, the the application or present a view of the application to somebody who might have some sort of a visual impairment or, or whatnot. Okay.
0: What, what would you say is um, key for, for people to understand to produce quality WPF work? I mean, moving past um, the I'll, basics, what, what should people be focusing on?
1: I guess the biggest place to begin uh, when talking about developing a, a solid WPF application is, is to come to decide what architecture pattern you're going to use. Uh, WPF is completely built around the idea of separating the design from the functionality. Um, the, by design, we mean the look and feel. Right. Uh, and by functionality, we mean the actual implementation, the coding side. So if, if you look at markup and the code behind, there's a perfect example. Um, if you design, uh, your architecture around this concept, too, you're going to be really successful with WPF. There's there's many different architecture patterns. Um, MVC, Model View Controller, uh, MVP, uh, which is Model View Presenter, and then uh, one of the architects at Microsoft, who was originally on the Blend team and now is an architect on the WPF team, came up with MVVM, which is Model View View Model, uh, which tends to be similar to what I use. Um, it's it's this concept that you'll have your data model. Uh, you'll also have a view of the data. But to support this view, you need this other tier, this third tier, which uh, John Gossman, this architect, he calls that the view model. I've, I just call it the data view. So I, I tend to think of the data model, the data view, and then the actual view. Uh, And the data view exists to support the view, and and it is kind of where all your business logic uh, resides um, other than the logic that is tied to the data model itself, which belongs in the data model.
0: So Um, you have have business object that lives in a view class. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be most appropriate for the controller?
1: Well, so the the controller and the view model is is a little they're slightly different. Uh, oh, this patterns. pattern doesn't
0: have a controller. That's right. okay. Right. Right. Okay. Uh,
1: and yeah, the view model kind of uh, kind of arises specifically to meet the needs of of WPF uh, because WPF has this rich data binding uh, uh, architecture, or it supports this rich data binding architecture. Um, and a lot of times the interfaces that are needed to support data binding, you may or may not want actually in your data model. Uh, so if you, if you, your data model can be, uh, serialized into CLR objects or, or whatever you have in your view model, then you can add the interfaces there that support the actual view.
0: And would this be a good place for implementing like, uh, the observable list.
1: Right, the observable collections, collection. um, any any type of uh, observable or your uh, I notify property changed uh, implementations for classes, uh, which you may not want in your actual data model. Uh, you can put those in your view model.
0: Now, there is another pattern that that you've discussed a little bit that you didn't bring up, which was the
1: MVPoo. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) So I I blogged about MVPoo just kind of tongue-in-cheek. Anytime you talk about these patterns, you you end up with a big argument uh, over the implementation details, what goes where. Um, And part of that is that no platform really supports a pure pattern, a pure implementation of any of these patterns. So no matter what you do, you're going to end up with what I call poo uh, in that middle layer. Uh, A classic example is is in WPF. Uh, It has this routed command uh, feature, which allows you to route commands through the user interface. Um, But you really uh, often want those commands to be handled within your view model. Um, and there's no real way to route them through the view model. Um, you pretty much need to go with a pure command interface to, to support those in your view model, which is pure command, meaning I command, and instead of the routed command, hmm. uh, the I command interface. So so what I came up with tongue in cheek was MVPo, which says that Pick a pattern, stick to it as much as you can, but uh, realize that there may be a little poo in, in your uh, view model or your data view and and just accept it in, in the name of getting the job done and, and making progress.
0: <laughs> well, we do live in the real world, so it's, it's right. tough to, to get around that at all times. So now you, you spoke a little bit about the separation between the designers and the developers, and it sounds like you you know you've had a a significant amount of real world experience with this. What what do you think uh, about the separation that's been built? Do you, do you think it's it's been done well? It's been done right? Are there ways that people can can not do it well? Um, what what's the key to to doing that?
1: So the whole developer designer workflow uh, concept it actually is it works very well as long as you have the right people in the right roles um i'm very lucky in that i work with a team of designers and developers and and what we call integrators which is that middle role the the hybrid personality that brings uh skill sets that include both design and development to the table um and knows how to to bridge the design which is Cre- your creative di- designers might come up with a design for your application um, and the developers. And traditionally, the developers would would take that design, run with it, and really screw it up. And <laughs> right. n- now with WPF, we've got this new workflow that's possible where, where the design team can actually own the design throughout the entire process. Um, what that does It it gives them a lot more control, but it also puts a lot more responsibility on the designer to understand the platform. So now they need to understand how to write styles and templates and understand data binding. And and it's really important for designers to fully grasp uh, these concepts, especially things like data binding. And traditionally they haven't had to do that. Um, So we've kind of, uh, where I work separated in, or introduced a third role which is that hybrid person that can can integrate the design with the development um, and that's the person that's going to live inside blend and and do all the styling templating uh, binding type work binding the UI to the to the view model or whatnot
0: so do you have designers working in like illustrator and then they're exporting to XAML and then the integrators bringing it into blend and then doing the the paths for the data binding
1: absolutely our design our creative designers uh tend to work uh in products like illustrator fireworks and and all the products that they're most productive in the goal here is to keep each person as productive as possible we'll let them work in the tools that they are the most productive with um, and our de- developers, of course, are in Visual Studio and, then, and writing code, and then our integrators tend to live and blend. Uh, the integrators... So the integrators are very hard to come by. Um,
0: <laughs> Imagine. This
1: is, the, this is the big problem right now for, for WPF adoption. Uh, if you're a small shop, you can't necessarily t- afford to go out and hire somebody to fill the third role, so you're, you're going to have to have either a designer or a developer step in and cover more than one role. Um, and even if you can afford to hire people, there are very few qualified people out there that can fill this role because it's so new. Um, and so I think the challenge uh, that exists for the developer designer workflow right now is, is just building up expertise um, in this area. and training people to actually do this we're very lucky that we do have a number of people who who have been with the platform and and we've uh, found designers who wanted to step up and fill in this role and learn and so if I can say that the process does work if you have the right people in the right roles
0: Hmm. now when you're working with these integrators do you in order to facilitate data binding do you have to give them an object model and say okay well You know, the data context is going to be filled with this type of an object. And so when you're writing your path statements, you can go to this property and and whatnot, or is there a different way you handle it?
1: Uh, Yeah, so the the integrator, it's important that they understand uh, both the data model as well as the control model for any uh, custom controls that you might have in there. So they really do, as far as I'm concerned, they've got the steepest learning curve uh, or the most responsibility uh, in the whole process to understand the bigger picture. But that doesn't mean they have to be uh, geeky and techy like developers. Right. Because uh, they, they won't be designing very, classes. Right. It's a very focused uh, work that they do. Um, but they do need to understand the classes that they're binding to. They need to, to understand the either the data model or the view model, depending on what you're using.
0: What advancements or things to come would you like to see from WPF?
1: Um, the there's there's a lot of areas where I, I see room for for improvements in the platform itself. Uh, there's I'd like to see uh, some some more opportunities for interop with the mill. The mill is the media integration layer. That's the unmanaged portion of WPF that handles rendering. Um, and there, the type of interop I'd like to see is, is maybe some access to the DirectX surface. So WPF is, is a DirectX-based uh, technology. Um, and so I'm hoping that in a future version we get more access to that DirectX surface for, for people who want to go kind of low level on, on you and, and do some creative stuff uh, with graphics. And then I along the same veins, I'd like to see uh, the ability to implement like custom brushes or custom rendering objects that can be used by the mill. Uh, right now, the mill is the, there's is no interface to the unmanaged portion of WPF other than uh, the part that's called WIC, which stands for Windows Imaging Components. If if you want to write your own codec, you can use WIC to to get at uh, certain mill objects and and interop with the mill, but I'd like to see more access from within your application itself to the mill. so what kind of things
0: um, will people be doing differently if they have that access?
1: Well I think you'll see uh, people doing uh, like if if you give somebody access to the direct deck surface you'll see all kinds of new bitmap effects uh, implemented you'll you might see people put some sort of uh, a smoke effect into an application, or, or something, uh, billowing smoke, or something. There's, there's a lot you could do, um, if, if you are that, if you are one of those hardcore uh, DirectX developers. Um, maybe, I don't. Currently, WPF supports only linear transforms. You might see people. Uh, and that's all done handled by the mill. You might see people introduce like non-linear transforms, um, although if they ever do that in WPF, it's going to break a lot of my code because <laughs> I I know that only linear transforms are possible. So I very often cast a transform to a matrix transform, knowing it's going to work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you'll you'll um, have some good articles uh, out on that then of of how to deal with that situation
1: absolutely but yeah no and there's there's certainly other advancements in WPF the uh, native control suite definitely needs to be enhanced there's mm. uh it's it's well published that there's no month calendar or date picker um and i they did release kind of a a sample pack that had some of those things but they should be native controls in the platform i know a good
0: control yeah. company that might be able to help with some of that though
1: oh yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, that's another example. There's, there's no native data grid. So uh, there's some excellent third party data grids out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, what do, you, what do you think of Silverlight?
1: Uh, I, I think Silverlight promises to be a, a great platform if you want to write web applications. Um, it's built around the same developer designer workflow principles. Uh, It's a very similar programming model. So for those who are doing WPF, it's going to be a very natural to to write Silverlight applications. Uh, It kind of has this long-term goal to be a subset of WPF. Um, But at the moment, it's still what I would call a very immature platform, at least 1.0 is. Um, And I've worked with it uh, a bit. Where, where I work, we do quite a bit of, of Silverlight work. Um, in fact, one of my um, posts in, in the items control series, I think it was B, uh, the, the second post, uh, actually had a little Silverlight application in, in what I called the ICIQ test. Uh, although I didn't call out that it was Silverlight, but anyone who uh, actually took the test, probably, if they didn't have Silverlight already installed, well, they knew it was because <laughs> they had to install it. Um, so, and, and I think it's it's great. It, I think people will be amazed by how much it, it has matured in the next release and become closer to what WPF is. But it's still going to be a long time uh, before it reaches the level of w, WPF. And it will never be a client platform. So it's, it's important to make the distinction that Silverlight is a web platform. Yeah. If, if you need cross-browser uh, and you want to run uh, as a, a web application, then Silverlight's the natural choice. But if you're writing uh, code for Windows, you want to harness the power of the client, then you're going to use WPF. And my passion is always going to be client that's what I've done for as long as I can remember. Is written Windows applications.
0: Yeah. Now, if people want to contact you with questions, what should they do?
1: So I I have a an address which that's ask at drwpf. Um, I'm I'm looking for questions that uh, would have broad appeal that I can uh, blog about and hopefully will help more than just one or two people. Um, I, I sometimes get questions that I think are better suited for the forums. And so if, if it's just a, a small technical question, that you, you'll probably get a much quicker response if you go to the forums. But if you have something that uh, is technically challenging and you think the answer is going to help uh, a broad number of people, by all means, send it my way. And I'm happy to uh, give it some consideration, hopefully give you an answer.
0: Excellent. And if people want to check out uh, the archives and also your items control series, it's just uh, drwpf.com. That's right. Well, thank you very much. That That's a show for us. We really appreciate you coming on. And hopefully you can come back sometime and tell us about some of the new work you've been doing as well.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was fun.
0: Now, what I can tell you is that when Dr. WPF and I recorded this interview, he was working on some new projects that we're definitely going to want to talk to him about. So I'm hoping that we'll have a chance to have him back soon and he can dive deep and tell us about what's been keeping him busy lately. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks a lot for checking out the show. Make sure to tell a friend. And until next time, this is Craig Shoemaker. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Pixelate Radio on the web
0: at getpixelated.com. That's get pixel the number eight ED.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com.